uh, the book of Colossians uh, in our, our series uh, called Battling On to Maturity. Uh, there should be a, a picture on the background of that, Howard. Um, I don't know where it's gone. There was a... Sorry? Okay. <laughs> Is that not there? Um, sorry? No? Um, my bag's down there somewhere. I, in in there, there, there's a memory stick. Would somebody just mind dropping this up to Howard, please? Thank you. Uh, it'll be in the usual place, Howard. Thank you. It's not just a luxury, this picture. is very kind of crucial. Anyway, okay. Uh, battling on to maturity. I'm going to start anyway, and we're, hopefully that'll, that'll uh, catch up and arrive. It must have got lost in the email process somehow. So anyway, we're, go- we're going to be continuing our series of talks on the book of Colossians, as uh, Louise explained earlier. And as, uh, as you will remember from then, if not before, um, this is a letter. It's written by the Apostle Paul, one of the early church leaders, uh, and he's writing it to a church, a community of Christians in the city of Colossae. Uh, Colossae was quite a prosperous town in what's now called Turkey, um, and we're in the first century now. It's about the AD 50, maybe around that time when Paul uh, wrote this letter. And there was a community of Christians there in that city, and they'd heard about Jesus indirectly through the Apostle Paul, because he was, uh, had spent a few year, 18 months, two years or so, in another big city, 100 miles away, called Ephesus. And while he was there, he spent time teaching and explaining uh, the good news to people. Uh, and uh, during that time, the, the message kind of spread out. And a man called Epaphras uh, was in Ephesus who uh, had obviously heard the message of Paul and, and been taught himself and was able to share it with others. He went to Colossae, 100 miles away. Perhaps he was from there. We don't really know. Probably he was from what the letter tells us in, Col- in Colossians. And he started to share the good news with them. And Paul writes to them. Let's read from verse 24 on page 1182 of Colossians chapter 1 to get some of the picture here. This is the first half of our passage. Paul writes in verse 24, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart 
and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden rather all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Now we've seen, ah, the picture's on. Now you'll see why the picture matters. It's the main theme of everything we're doing today. We've seen over the last couple of weeks, if you've been here, how this letter has told us a great deal in the last uh, little section we've been looking at about Jesus. And this isn't working now either, Howard. Thank you. (laughs) About Jesus. Uh, We've been seeing over uh, the last two weeks uh, that that there's this very full description. Possibly it's some kind of ancient hymn or some kind of uh, way of uh, remembering important truth about Jesus. We don't know, but it's an amazing description about how Jesus is supreme over everything and why that is. He's the creator of everything. And the next, it's still not working. Thank you. He is the Son. He is the Lord. He's the creator of everything. Not only that, he's the purpose behind everything. Everything, it says, has been made through him and for him. He's the one behind how it's all glued together, it says. In more ways than one, not just physically, but he, he's the purpose. The whole thing is, is in his hands, as it were. This is, this is everything that's been made. It's a huge picture, as we've been seeing. And from that position, as one who is God-made known, it says, someone who is filled with the fullness of God, God the eternal Son, coming into our world, filled with the fullness of God, he set out on this mission to be the reconciler, to put everything right, it says. Now we know, don't we, that everything's kind of out of kilter in the world. There's a problem And Paul is saying in these earlier verses, Jesus is God's person to come and put it all right again. He's reconciling all things to himself. The Bible's big story about is about why everything is out of out of place, and how God restores it all through Jesus, who is the reconciler. Now that's not just interesting theology, because the Colossians have been told that they've been caught up in that. It's all kind of come real in their lives. And, and they're realizing, imagine you were a Colossian reading that stuff, or rather in your community, hearing this read, because that's how it would have been shared. You'd be thinking, whoa, it's all bigger than I thought it was. You see, if you're a Colossian believer, yeah, you'd have heard about Jesus. You'd have heard from Epaphras about the gospel or the good news that he'd shared They'd realized that God had accepted them in Christ. They could get to know him. They knew that God was working in them. They knew that their lives were changing. They were realizing that the good news was not just words, but that God was in those words, that that, that these words, this truth was alive. It was bearing fruit in their lives. And, And this is all big. And they realized they've become part of this great big mission of God through his son, the Lord Jesus. It was all very new to them. They'd heard it through Epaphras, who'd heard it from Paul. And now they've got this letter from Paul. He's writing to them from prison. 
He's been arrested. He's probably banged up either in Rome or perhaps in Caesarea, if it was a bit earlier, just at the north of Palestine there. But wherever he is, they get this letter from him. And in the letters we read, Paul begins to talk about his own role. His role. Uh, He says in verse 24 that he is in fact a messenger uh, and, and he's a messenger of Christ. He has this message. Uh, we've lost the picture again, but never mind. <laughs> he has this message that he's sharing. He says that God, in verse 24, has commissioned him to do this. He says to them, what he's sharing, he says, is the word of, is the word of God in all its fullness, he says. The word of God in all its fullness. And if you read those verses there, uh, around verse 25... He starts talking about this mystery, and he kind of builds up the tension. He says, I've become its servant, the church's servant, by the commission of God gave me to present to you the word of God in all its fullness. There it is there, that's, that's that phrase. And he says, it's a mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and and generations, but it is now disclosed to the Lord's people. What is it, Paul? Tell us the mystery. We want to know. And he, he, he doesn't tell them straight. He says, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches. Yeah, what, Paul? What of this mystery? Yeah, tell us what the mystery is, Paul. Let us know. We're in suspense here. And then he says it. What is it? It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. This Jesus who is the creator, this Jesus who is the Lord of everything, this Jesus who has rescued and reconciled them, this Christ, this anointed king is in them. Paul has said something like that in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. He talks to the Christians there about how when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit is given to us. And Paul describes the Holy Spirit in our lives as the down payment, the first installment of our inheritance. It's the same experience he's talking about that. Different phrase, but the same experience. So that we know that we're alive in God. And we know that that life will continue forever. That the glory of being in his presence to come, we get a taste of it now. Because Christ lives in you, says Paul. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Think about it. So all that stuff about Jesus as supreme Lord and holding the universe together, reconciled us by his death, he's actually living in believers. I wonder what it would be like for the Colossians to realize that for the first time. Do you get it? Do I get it? Do we know that? Let's think of an illustration. It's not a perfect one. But imagine um, the world of golf. You know, I tried to play a bit of golf once with Ralph and Martin and a few others. And still looking for the sport I can play. And golf isn't it either, but never mind. (laughs) I'm 61. It's, you know, probably too late now. Um, So imagine that world of golf. You hear about golf. You realize, you, you, you know it's a great game. It's so good to be out on the fairway. You know, you, 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 you get a vision for golf, maybe by the example of a great golfer like Jack Nicklaus. 
you know, one of the greatest, most inspirational golfers of recent times. Or Arnold Palmer, who's now dead, but people credit him as, if you like, bringing the kind of dignity and popularity uh, of the game back into kind of uh, mainstream life. Well, imagine that you've got Jack Nicklaus's books and you've learned how to play through his inspiration. You've learned his style. You've put it into practice. You're doing your best. You're following his example. And it's okay. But what if, what if Jack Nicklaus could actually give you his skills? What if actually he could kind of live in you? If, if your ability he had, you could have to play golf his way. Now, would that make a difference? I think it would, wouldn't it? And it's kind of this that Paul is saying to the Colossians. This Jesus who's done all this for you, he lives in you. It's amazing. And that's what the Colossians are realizing. You see, they'd known that love had come into their lives. We read in the first few verses of the first chapter, uh, Luke took us through it in the first week, that they were being changed and they all praised that they'll be strengthened. They knew they'd been rescued from the kingdom of darkness. They, they knew all about that they were thankfully overflowing. They knew they got this kind of God stuff in their lives. They knew that something had happened, that they're being changed. Now they realize where it's all coming from. It's coming from King Jesus living in them. Now, here's the thing. Is my Christian experience like that? Is yours? You know, sometimes it's possible to maybe start like that, you know, to paddle around in that for a bit, but not really get it or continue it. Paul is saying we need to embrace the truth, welcome Jesus into our lives. We shall see that's what becoming a Christian is really all about. If you've never known that, if you've never known that change, that difference, if you can honestly say, I don't think I've ever experienced Jesus living in my life, then maybe you need to come to him for the first time or come back to him and ask him to bring you to life again. And stop just doing what Christians do and start afresh with Jesus. See, it's so easy. We do what Christians do. Well, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is Christ in you, in me, the hope of glory. That's the norm for Christian experience. That's what Paul uh, is challenging us to. That's what God speaks about in his word. And Paul talks about his big aim. He talks about a goal in verse 28. Paul says in verse 28 that he's passionate for everyone to know about Jesus, so he proclaims Jesus. He challenges people, that's the word, what admonishing means. He teaches people, and it's all with this big aim. And what is the big aim in verse 28? He wants everyone to be mature in Christ. He wants the people that hear the truth. He wants the people he's writing to. He wants us. God wants us to be mature in Christ, to be moving, to, making, to be making progress. He doesn't want us to be half-baked, as it were. He wants us to be complete because of what Jesus has done. 
He wants people, says Paul, his great aim is that people he's writing to, right down through the centuries, God's word, the Holy Spirit writing through, uh, speaking through Paul says, he wants people, us, to trust Christ and carry on. That's the point. Carry on to maturity. Now that's hard work. Paul says, this is a battle. He says, I'm contending, I'm striving. He's talking about how he's trying to help others be mature in Christ, but it applies at all kinds of levels, as Lou pointed out. It's a struggle. It's a battle. But it's a battle worth fighting. It's a struggle worth continuing in. Paul is in prison. All he can do now is write letters and send people like Epaphras out with them. But God is giving Paul the power to work that hard. It's crucially important to Paul. It's what the whole of his life is about. It's what he wants more than anything else for everyone to be mature in Christ. He wants everyone he knows who's a believer to be carrying on. And we're among those people that God is speaking to today from this book that Paul wrote. Now, it's important for Paul, but I think it was really important for the Colossians. It was a particular issue from them. Now, how do we know that? Well, we know that from Epaphras. Remember who Epaphras was? He was the one who shared the gospel with the Colossians. He has actually come and visited Paul in Rome or Caesarea, and he's with Paul while he writes the letter. And we know about that because we read it in chapter 4. Turn a page to chapter 4, verse 12. And Paul there talks about Epaphras, this man who was part of the church, uh, church's foundation, who shared the gospel with them. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. That's the same word. He's wrestling in prayer. What's he praying about? He's praying that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Epaphras, who knows them, who is one of their church leaders, his biggest prayer for the Colossians is that they might be mature in Christ, that they might stand firm. You know, if, if you know, we pray, sometimes we pray with other church leaders in the city. I do if I pray with another church leader in the city and I say to them, uh, hey, Simon, what are you praying for your church at the moment? What's your number one prayer need? And if he tells me, then, you know, that, that's the biggest thing. That's current. That matters. That's a big deal. So Epaphras, the church leader from Colossae, is in jail or visiting Paul in house arrest or wherever he was. And they're praying together. And what are they praying for? What's Epaphras praying for? What is he sweating and praying and struggling for? He wants the Colossians to carry on, to be mature. So it was an issue. They may well have been struggling to carry on. Do we? Do you? Do I? It is a struggle sometimes, isn't it? I've met quite a few people in my job who have been honest enough to say, yes, it is. It's not easy. Carrying on was easy at first. It was okay when I was in my 20s. And then it, life got harder. 
Yeah, now I'm in my 50s. I don't know. I've heard it all before so many times. Everything that comes across in church is just the same. I don't know. I, I, I just don't, doesn't kind of hit me anymore. I've had conversations with a few friends like that. Not necessarily you here. But um, I have had those conversations. Felt it myself sometimes. It can be a struggle to carry on. Well, how do we carry on? Well, what does maturity in Christ look like? Colossians 2, verses 2 to 5, tell us. Paul is kind enough to explain what maturity in Christ looks like. doesn't keep us guessing, trying to make it up for ourselves. He paints a picture of what he's looking for. He says, I want people to be encouraged in heart and united in love. He says... I want their hearts to be knit together, actually, in love. It's one of uh, the phrases he uses. Now, that points to to being together with others, doesn't it? You can't be united in love. You can't be knit together in love on your own, can you? So the implication is that to be going on to maturity, we need to be with other believers in some way. And that's important. It says, I want their hearts to be encouraged. The heart is the very source of our life, the very center of our being. And Paul is saying, I want the believers, Christians, I want you guys, he said, to to know Jesus in, in that deep kind of heart, deep motivational level. Not some superficial bits of behavior that you bolt on but right in the innermost part of you to, to know God and to be growing at that heart level with him. And others help us with that as well. You know, it is hard to carry on in isolation. How often people, you know, you stop meeting with others, you know, whether it's a house group or church or, you know, you leave one church, don't go to another. Whatever it is, you just stop meeting with other people and gradually you, you can feel yourself just beginning to drift. And Paul goes on to say, I want that to happen so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, verse 3. So what's Paul saying there? He's saying, look, as we're encouraged in heart, as we're knit together with others, so we begin to to realize and uh, be continually reminded that Christ is enough. He says, Christ is like a treasure chest. And he he says, there's enough in Christ for you to keep finding new things. And maybe this is important for those of us who are kind of at the other end of our lives. We've been Christians for 20 or 30 years. You think, I know, there's nothing new. Paul says, in Christ, there's, there's always something new to discover. There's always something new to get into your heart. There's always something new. If you're there asking him and looking for it, if you've not given up, there's something there to be found. There's plenty in him. Verse 5 says uh, he's delighted with their discipline. And discipline, I suppose, is about making good decisions and keeping to them. Keeping to them, that's the issue. You know, we make decisions to do things. Actually, there's a talking about there's a corporate element to that because the phrase used actually refers to an army marching together. 
So when these things are in place in our lives, when we're being encouraged in heart, when we're united in love, when we're realizing that Christ is enough, then we get defended. Paul says, I'm telling you this so that you can be better defended, verse 4, so you're not deceived, or even, as we shall see in a minute, even kidnapped. It will stop you being kidnapped, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. So how do we carry on? What is the root to maturity. Let's read from verses 6 to verse 15. How do we do this? So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. How do we carry on? What's the route to maturity? Well, verses 6 and 7 are absolutely key. Just that, so then, Paul kind of introduces it. This is it. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. That kind of sums up everything that the rest of the letter is going to say, how this works out in our lives. Paul is saying this simply carry on as you began. As you began your Christian life, carry on that way. How did it begin? You trusted Christ. You received him. It was a very simple thing at one level. Paul says, remember the shape of that simple faith. Believing that Christ was enough, welcoming him into your life, committed to follow him and to continue with him. Get back to that. Do it. Live the Christian life like you began. Jesus came in as the Lord of your life. Or carry on with him that way. Paul says you are rooted within him. That's under the surface as we saw. It's really great, the bowls. Thank you for that, that Luke. You know, that he's like a foundation. You're rooted in that foundation. And Paul says, well, build on that. You're already rooted in Christ, but you need to build on it brick by brick. I think one translation says, brick, line up, row after row of bricks, build it up gradually. There's a process. Paul says, get to know the faith. 
as you were taught. He says, um, you know, um, strengthened in the faith. That's the body of truth about God and about Jesus and about how we live his way. All the stuff in the Bible. He says, build on that. Be taught in that. But not just kind of uh, fact stuff. No, not just that. Overflow in thankfulness, says Paul. Uh, that's one of Paul. You know, Paul uses that word, overflowing, 26 times in his writing. And it's the idea of a, a river bursting its banks. And sometimes it's translated in old translations, abounding, just overflowing. Paul says, look, be like that. Now, what's involved in overflowing with thankfulness? Well, think about that. What does that tell you about the way the life is lived? Well, it means you're looking for what God does, aren't you? Because, you know, if you're not, you're not going to be thankful. And it means that when, when, when you are aware of him and what he's doing, something about him, then you respond to him. So there's a kind of interaction. There's a, a life lived with him. Acknowledging him, thanking him, cultivating a shared life with Christ. Because Paul goes on to say in verses 8 to 15, you see, all you need is Christ. So Paul says, I hear these these passages, this passage says, don't get captured by ways of thinking. Don't get captured by ways of living that simply come out of human tradition. Or even worse, come from alternative spiritual sources. Christ is enough, says Paul. You don't need anything except Jesus. That's all. He is all you need. Now, as I come to a close, I want to very, uh, quite quickly, because there's a lot of very complex stuff in the last few verses. But I want to kind of look at what they say and, and apply it, kind of backtrack. From, well, I'll t- you'll see what I'm going to do. I don't need to tell you that. <laughs> so I want us to look at how we can carry on rather than give up. We need to carry on with Christ. So in verses 9 to 10, it tells us that we can carry on with Christ for spiritual satisfaction. See, Paul says all we need of God is in Christ. Paul says... All of God's fullness is in Christ. And you've been brought to life in him. So there's no other way to find God. There's no other way to get blessed by God. There's no other way to have spirituality in your life other than Christ. And if you've got Christ, he's full of God. All there is of God is in him. So you don't need to kind of go after New Age techniques or yoga or anything that is kind of trying to give you spiritual experience. Because all you need is Christ. The fullness of God is in Christ. That's enough. It's all you need. Paul says he is all we need for spiritual satisfaction. Paul says there's no alternative power. He is the head over every power and authority. I say no alternative. Nothing that comes near to him. Nothing else that we need as believers and followers of Christ. So we don't go after the gods of our world. We don't go to other places for spiritual security. Now, you know, it's easy for us to say, well, if only I had this much money, I'd be, I'd be okay. Everything will be right. I'd be spiritually okay as well. 
I'd be happy. If only I had that relationship, then I'd be fine. I'd, I'd be a perfect human being. I'd be a fulfilled human being. I would be spiritually whole, we might say. We don't find our ultimate security anywhere else. We don't need to think, if only I had this, I'd be absolutely satisfied. If I was that, then my life would be complete. If only I could have a good job. If only I could be loved by someone. If only I wasn't sick, or if only I didn't have to struggle with mental health or whatever. If, if, only, if only I had something like this, then, then I would be spiritually whole. Paul says, Jesus is enough. He's enough. We don't need anything more carry on with christ we can he also says in these next couple of verses verses 11 and 12 we can carry on with christ in the struggle against sin and temptation now i don't have time you were thinking what's all this stuff about circumcision here and it's all to do with the Jewish faith. And there were, in some of the early churches, people from Jewish backgrounds were telling Christians from Gentile backgrounds they had to be circumcised. And Paul uh, tackles that in his other verses because he, they were saying that it's not enough to have Jesus. You need to be circumcised. You need to become Jewish as well. And part of the argument was that in doing that, you were kind of getting rid of, you know, the kind of the, the, the bad stuff in your life. You were kind of becoming right with God by doing those things. And that's why here, when Paul says, no, you don't need that. But the key thing he is here is that your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Paul is saying when you put your faith in Jesus, which is expressed, or, or baptism is a symbol of that. That's why baptism is a great thing, because it helps what you've done by faith to get kind of really rooted into your whole kind of being. He said when you put your faith in Christ, you express that with baptism, you know, you, 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 your whole old way of life has been dealt with. It's been put off. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off at that point. So you don't need, if you're a man, to have a tiny part of you put off as a symbol of something else. That's unnecessary. Paul is saying, because your old way of life has been put off, it's been dealt with. So, we've trusted Christ. He's, we're linked with him. We've been buried and raised with him. We have a new life. We don't have to give up on the struggle against sin. You see, we can say no to sin and temptation... As we carry on with Christ, because our old self has been dealt with. Now, we still struggle. It's not like we can't sin anymore. We can, as most of us, well, all of us, if we're honest, will admit. But what Paul is saying is that in Christ, we have a, a means to say no to temptation and to sin. We don't have to give up. We don't have to go there. We don't have to click on that site. We don't have to spend time with that person if you know where it's heading. There are many things that, that you know what the kind of temptations that come. We don't have to start thinking about our trust is in all these other things. We can say no to the, those things because we've been identified with Jesus. He has dealt with it. And we can say, no, I'm with Jesus. I'm connected with him. I'm going to carry on with him. When you first became a Christian, think back to that time. Do you remember how something else displaced the things that enslaved you? 
you remember those early days? So what's changed? If it was possible to say no to sin when you first became a Christian, why are you carrying on with it now? Five, 10, 15, 20 months, weeks, years later. See what Paul is saying. As you receive Jesus as Lord, continue with him. Verse 12 talks about the working of God. So we can carry on with Christ in the struggle with sin. He goes on to say we can carry on with Christ in the crises of guilt. Verses 13 to 14. Some of us, you know, can struggle with guilt. We've done bad things. There are accusations that come at us. Sometimes it can be from other people. Uh, The Bible describes Satan as the accuser. And he can uh, kind of whisper stuff into our hearts. And these two verses are saying many things, but at the very heart of it is this. Everything you need for your salvation and forgiveness has been done by God. He's forgiven it. It says there that he's taken it away. You see, he canceled the charge of our, verse 14, of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away. What condemned us, he has taken away. When Jesus died on the cross, that's what we're celebrating. And so for some of us, and I, I know, again, for some of us as we get older, we can become haunted by perhaps things, am, am I forgiven of this? Or have I committed the unforgivable sin? Or I did some terrible things in my early life and so on and so forth. And, and doubts and stuff can creep in and it becomes a real struggle to carry on with Christ because of guilt. And Paul is saying we carry on with Christ in the crisis of guilt because our salvation has been done by God in Christ. It's completed. We are forgiven. It's over. It's done. It's paid. It's forgotten. Finished. That's what Jesus said on the cross. Finished. Finally, we can carry on with Christ when we're facing evil. Verse 15. Because on the cross, he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Carry on with Christ when facing. You know, evil is real. I don't think we need to be convinced of that. Turn the TV on and see what's happening. And Christians can find ourselves in overwhelming circumstances where evil just seems to be rampant. And unchecked. Think of brothers and sisters in ISIS held territory, for example. Think of people caught up in trafficking. Think of some of the people that um, the, the gate are ministering to every week in Southampton. Evil is real, it's terrifying, and it can leave us wondering how to carry on sometimes. And verse 15 tells us that ultimately evil has been disarmed and openly defeated. Now, the powers of evil are still with us. But this verse is saying they are actually in their death throes. And we can hold on to Christ because he has disarmed them. And we may feel intimidated, but we can be safe in him. Even if we lose our lives, ultimately we are safe in Christ, aren't we? So trust Christ. 
Oh, there should be a final. Okay, I'll just leave that. Trust Christ and carry on. Have you trusted Christ? Do you know that you belong to him? That he lives in you? Well, receive him as Lord and start to live for him. Ask him for the life, for the forgiveness he promises. Ask him to deal with the evil and guilt and sin in your life as you turn from it and trust him. Receive his overflowing and generous gift of eternal life. And do you, if you're a believer, do you remember that time? I've been thinking about it myself as I prepped, and I was thinking of when I was a, I became a Christian really for myself in a kind of distinct way when I was about 11, and I was thinking about how I felt, you know, at that point and what it was like. Do you remember that? Get back to that. Walk with him. You received him, carry on with him as Lord. You know, maybe we should have a little thing. Why not try living like a new Christian this week? Because that's kind of what Paul is saying. Live like a new Christian. You know, spend each day consciously with him. What are we going to do today, Lord? At the end of the day, what did you do, Lord? How can I be thankful? How can I overflow? You see, we can carry on with Christ because Christ is enough. Let's worship him.